days are here again, the skies above are clear again. Let us sing a song of cheer again, happy days are here again. Welcome to Rosa Remarks, the podcast where we chronologically explore the stories of Disney Comics legend Don Rosa, the Eisner Award-winning artist and writer of classic Scrooge McDuck and Donald Duck comic book stories. Join us as we discuss his storytelling, illustrations, cultural contexts, references, and inspirations from Karl Barks, appreciate hidden gags and Easter eggs, and whatever else animates me and my guests. Welcome back, listeners, to Rosa Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who loves duck comics and loves revisiting and talking about uh, some of these classic stories that I grew up with. And and I say welcome back to you listeners, but I'm also welcoming back a couple of returning guests. I'm I'm really excited to have a couple of uh, frequent guest hosts that I've had on for the kind of mothership podcast, the quote, main podcast Barks Remarks. I, I first had Ruben Olsrud on, um, and then Mikael Hagen, and, and you guys have been on a number of these, including several of them together. So so welcome back to both of you. Big thank you, Mark. It's a great, always a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be back and also now be, be on for a new podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm so excited. You know, we're still, we're in episode four here. So we're um, really early into this new format. As of today, we've only had one actual release, but I've been really delighted by, by the reception so far. I call Bark's Remarks the main podcast, and I do think of it that way, but it's already clear that there's a, a, a bigger appetite and audience to for for some of these stories. So very excited to get to talk about this. Let's see. There's a lot to to say when I welcome you guys back, right? Because you you are both as I am you are both longtime Barks fans. Uh, I've mentioned, I mentioned in the early episodes that it's really important for me to get um, people coming on the show that are from the area of the world where there's the most energy for, for the appreciation of these comics. So, so Mikael, where do you both hail from? Well, we both me and Ruben are from Norway, Norway and Scandinavia, where Donald Duck comics and Carl Barks and Don Rosa are still very popular still something you can buy in at any grocery store around the country yeah so um so you guys you guys are from norway which outside of the us is where we actually have the most listeners we'll see if that's the case for the rosa stories as well it wouldn't surprise me i i want to be conscious of having people from that area since it's just so vital for for fans you guys both you've gotten to dabble a little bit in in comics creation yourself right i think you guys were both the, both young winners of of one of um, the comics contests, right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Oh, it was um, back in 2012. The Norwegian Donald Duck Weekly magazine started this yearly yearly competition where readers could uh, submit their own comics, and then they will pick the best ones and publish them in their own little magazine next to the weekly magazine and, and later on they would just print it inside the 
actual magazine. So both me and Ruben got different comics published there. Ruben got actually the front cover. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Uh, Mikkel got a magnificent story published. It's a great adventure story. Was it five pages? Yeah, it was five pages. I, I tried to uh, condense a full-length adventure story into five pages. And I'm kind of proud of myself since I made it work <laughs> somehow. You did. It was a great story. So uh, Mikkel got that published and I did the front cover. And next year, I believe you got a one-pager. And so did I. Yeah. That's, that's great. Right. Yeah, that's right. The editors asked us to not make such long stories anymore or <laughs> was keep it to one pages. I, th- I think that's where a lot of the energy, unfortunately, seems to be going in a lot of the publications. Um, but that must have been such a thrill for, bo- for both of you. And, and I know you guys both have your own art pages. We can share that uh, at, at the end as we wrap up. Um, and, and so you guys, as I mentioned, you guys have both been on the podcast, the, the previous iteration of the podcast, Barks Remarks, a couple of times. Um, I really appreciate you returning. But another thing that I really appreciate and, and I'm really grateful for is our, our absolutely wonderful cover art for both podcasts, right? Ruben, you did the Barks Remarks podcast cover art and Mikkel you did you did the illustration for this one for Rosa Remarks Um, and then Ruben used his graphic design work to adapt it into that form and I am just I'm thrilled with how both of them came out so I just I want to thank you guys both for for doing that it's really it's really lent lent an air of of professionalism to the podcast especially when you I mean don't go back and look at what my previous podcast art was but um but the comparison is you know just just nothing so so thank you guys both very much well I would thank you a lot for your kind words and I've uh, I've listened to the published episodes and you mentioned our names and speak fondly about us. It moves my heart. I'm really grateful for that. So thank you a lot. Yeah, I saw the previous uh, Art for Barks Remarks and I begged on my knees to be able to to do something better. And I got the opportunity. And when we were discussing and uh, if we're going to use something similar for the Rosa Remarks podcast, I knew that I didn't have that much time to do art. I also knew that uh, Mikkel would make some great artwork that would be in the style of not the style of Don Rosa, but the soul of Don Rosa with uh, a great money bin scene. So I asked Mikkel and it turned out great. Yeah, because... boy, Mikkel, you delivered. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm really moved by both of your kind words and it was really a great honor and to be asked to do this money bin scene and uh, a real pleasure to do it. Excellent. Um, listeners, you should really, really like feast on, on the illustration because there's just a lot of fun touches if you go in and, and look at it in detail. And and you guys, I really, every time, I, every time it comes up as I'm doing podcast management stuff, I'm just like, oh, that looks so good. I'm so thrilled with it. So thank you both. Um, Boy, you guys, there's a lot to cover here. Even if we're talking about a pretty short story today, as as you mentioned, it's not an, it's it's not an adventure length, but this is a really exciting one, I think, for the three of us to cover. I know from from my own part, we're we're talking about recalled rep, which I think the the best one liner description of this story is that it is a love letter to Donald's Belchfire runabout, good old three one three. I know that all of us feel very fondly 
about Donald's vehicle, right? I think especially you, Ruben. Yeah, I, I can't put my finger on what exactly it is. It just, it's so iconic and it's so original. I've never seen anything like it that isn't a copy of it. I believe I've seen some uh, in other uh, comic book stories where they would like make an homage by making a car look like the Belgify runabout. But it, it's just so cute and it's stable and it's it's charming. I just think it's great. It's a great car and it's just as iconic as the sailor suit. Yeah, I, I think charming is is a good good word for it, right? Mika, are you excited to talk about this one? Yeah, I'm really excited to especially hear what Ruben has to say because I know he has been researching this story for quite a long time now. So <laughs> That's right. I agree with uh, him. Uh, Donald's car is iconic and is to Donald practically the same as uh, Uncle Scrooge first time or Monobin is to is to him. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, if you if you have to think of a token that represents Scrooge, it's it's pretty easy, right? It's his number one dime. Maybe it's um his bin itself or where it's his like the the clothes he wears and, and you know donald has a obviously a very iconic outfit but as far as just hokens the the car is definitely the thing for him so you guys you always bring it um when you come on the show i really appreciate how well prepared and researched you are and and i i myself sat back just a little bit for this one i of course have looked into what don had to say in his fantagraphics collection but i i too am very excited to hear what you guys have to say about this fun story before we do get into it though because it's your first time on the show let me ask you both briefly to tell me how did you get in to Don Rosa's comics, um, and then maybe mention one or two of your favorite stories. And uh, Ruben, why don't we start with you? Yeah, uh, well, of course, uh, both Mikkel and I grew up in the 2000, and we both were reading a lot of the weekly Donald Duck comics, and Don Rosa was frequently printed in these com weekly comic books. And Egmont knew that this was something big, so they always put like his name on the front cover. It's a Don Rosa story. It's a Don Rosa classic. It's a new story from Don Rosa. So uh, it's probably one of the first comic book creators that you learn the name of, along with Carl Barks. Of course, it's always a, it's a Carl Barks classic. It's also some, something that they would put up on their front covers. So it's not hard to get into his comics. And of course, in a weekly comic book, when it's put alongside with other uh, the, the great Disney comic book stories and from great uh, Disney comic book artists, it's very original. Visually, it doesn't look like the artwork isn't similar in any way and, all, and also when you look into it the story also is very iconic and it's something different than anything else in the weekly so it's really easy to distinguish this uh, artist's stories and get into them of that reason yeah I, I think that kind of matches up with my own experience except uh, maybe just a decade and a half to two decades earlier <laughs> um, and with the comics in the U.S. which you know aren't as big there but if you're a Disney fan they were easy to gravitate to at the time and I, I figured out pretty quickly that that's what really animated me uh, how about you Mikkel? Well, yeah I also grew up uh, during the early 2000s and uh, I first discovered Carl Barks of course but I didn't know his name but then I really loved his Uncle Scrooge adventures without knowing his name but then I first discovered um, then in 2002, I first read this story called uh, The Sharpie of Culebra Cut, and uh, it was something really different about it. It introduced Scrooge sisters, to me at least. I'd never seen them before, although I didn't couldn't really read that well at the time. I was five years old. It really st stuck out to me. That's great. Um, so that's yeah. probably like an emotional favorite of yours, I'm guessing. Yeah, it is. So 
along with uh, another letter from home and uh, the Dutchman's Secrets, which was both stories I also read pretty early on. It's fascinating to me hearing about people's favorites because they vary so widely. What about you, Ruben? What are a couple of your favorites? Well, of course, uh, when I was a kid, I was a big Tampager guy. So actually, the story we're going to talk about today was one of my favorite ones ever. I remember I hold that comic book great because it included, it was a 2008 edition that included this story along with 48 Donald Duck as a fireman, 47-48 story, which also is one of my great favorite 10 pagers. So I love those, but I, I would also like to mention the cash flow. Is it that, that what it's called? Yeah. Along with... Oh, the one, the one with the, the Beagle Boys versus the Money Bin. It's a great one, along with the one with the, the stopwatch, where there's the Beagle Boys stop time. Oh, yeah. Nice. Excellent. And and you guys, before we, I know it's a big intro here, but I've got to ask everyone, right? Don Rosa uh, is, is very popular and notoriously hard to meet in Scandinavia. But have either of you gotten to, to meet him at a fan convention or anything like that? Uh, Mikkel? Yeah, I've got to meet Don Rosa four times now, I believe. The first time I was standing in line for like seven hours to meet him. And there was a chance I would not get to meet him after all. But uh, I was lucky and was among the last ones to get in there and get a couple of books signed and uh, I also brought a magazine which uh, included a story back to Xanadu and also one of my stories printed right next to each other. It was uh, uh, a four-page story that I had uh, published in the summer of 2015. So yeah, Rosa signed his story and I signed my own next to that one and he was looking at my drawings and commenting on them. What a treat. That's a delight. Uh, What about you, Ruben? Yeah, I met him at a comic book store once. Of course, it was a signing. (laughs) Uh, It just just didn't happen to be there. Um, But uh, it was in Trondheim. I was visiting my friend that was studying there at the time. And um, uh, I just had my friend over and we discussed how long we actually did did wait. And we think it was just about an hour. But of course, the the signing was very efficient. You would sit down, sign your print. You would loan one of the workers your mobile phone and they would grab some photographs while you're sitting with him. Yeah, you would have like a small chat and then it's up for the next one. Yeah. Yeah, it it makes the uh, 15 minutes that I've had to wait at the longest feel (laughs) feel like something else. All right, you guys, so you're, you're... Your bona fides are are clear. You guys are big Rosa fans from a long time back. You know, we we can we can speak critically of stories, but but I gotta I gotta admit, I'm kind of in the bag for this one. This is an old favorite. It's it's not one of the very, very first I read, but it was pretty early on. It must have been in the first like half dozen or so. You know, I've got the comic it was originally printed in, which um I, I like to note that you know, 313 is highlighted. It's a really neat Don Yippus cover for Walt Disney's Comics and Stories number 524, which was in August of 1987. This one, of course, is a 10-pager, as you mentioned. And I'm checking in, you guys, on um, the number of publications that these have. Unlike Bark's remarks, I am looking at the overall number. So Recalled Rec has been published in 19 different countries in 97 publications total, eight of which were in the United States. That's the most of any stories that I've uh, checked out so far. Maybe because it's a 10-pager, it's just easier to run, but um, like more than Son of the Sun, even. Just as I mentioned, this is really a love letter to Donald's car. You, you get the idea from looking at these very early Rosa stories, what I'm noticing, the, the thing that I like to kind of do about this podcast is observe 
where does his head seem to be? He really seems to be going through some of the classic story types that Barks enjoyed using, right? He he did an adventure story first. Um, he kind of already had that one in his bag. And then his very first 10-pager, Nobody's Business, that was really one of those like ambitious, striving Donald stories. It was, it was also a Donald versus Gladstone story. So that's kind of that typology checked off. You know, we've got Mythological Menagerie, which is like his stab at a woodchuck story. Nobody's Business, of course, was also kind of a follow-up to the to the air story. So you guys, here we are. This is his, this is really one of his Donald is good at something stories. It's also Donald is overzealous. And again, as, as we said, it's really like looking into the lore of Donald's car. Not, not in any kind of real depth, but it's just a fun way to, to really appreciate something that fans have come to love over the years. You guys, um, do you know much about like where the car came about? Well, of course, I did some research. So, um, uh, but of course, it was in the, the Walt Disney short Don Donald. It was where it premiered. Yeah, and did it first appear in the Altalia Faro comics? Yeah, um, yeah. So it was 1937 where the Don Donald short cartoon short produced by the Walt Disney Animation Com Company was premiered, and we first saw he traded a uh, burro, a donkey, for his uh, for that car, and it broke down. And then it was Altalia Faro, I believe, that was the first to use it in a comic book, in and that was apparently in July 1st, 1938, according to some. Disney wiki pages I found. I haven't been able to check that out. Check that out. Yeah, yeah I would just like to add that uh, Altofero was the first one to give Donald's uh, card its number and license. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, and he yeah. used it frequently. He was a big user, of course. Those newspaper comic strips was about Donald being the everyday man, pretty much. Right. You know, a big And a big part of being an everyday American, everyday, everyday man. And of course, a big uh, thing that you could use for gags is traffic and car driving in the in the 30s, 30s and 40s. Right, so he, right, uh, exactly. So the, the car was a big character in those, it was used very frequently in the strip. And then I believe uh, Parks used it for the first time in 1943 in the story uh, Good Neighbors, but in it was used in a couple of panels, but it was cropped up, so he only, only saw like a piece of the car. So that's yeah, kind of, of appropriate, right? Because I guess that would that have been his first use of Neighbor Jones? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So that's great with the story as well, because it's Neighbor Jones and the car alongside with each other as they premiered in a Bark story together also. Right. And and this is going to be one of a, a relatively few number of times that Don Rosa is going to use um, Neighbor Jones, who is a great character, but there's just kind of only so much you can do with him. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So so as you say. 313 is, is super iconic, that license plate. That's something that Don Rose is going to get a lot of mileage out of. I think it feels like a good number for Donald, right? It's it's 13 evokes. Yeah, I, like, I think it's like uh, supposed to like echo March 13th. That also was kind of his birthday at some point in uh, a right. sort of thing. So yeah, it's like the same thing. Right, and it seems number. to evoke like his lack of who gets stuck with all the bad luck. Right. No one but Donald Duck. So thir number 13, famously, um, famously an unlucky number. So it's just something that I think has grown to be iconic for a lot of fans because of its familiarity. It's been in the cartoons. It's been in the old Talia Farrow strips. It's been in Barks and Rosa stories. It's it's 
it's iconic, but it's also just so appealing. It's got these like round, very cute, adorable curves. It's it's cartoony while still, you know, technically looking like a real car, but it doesn't really look like much that's on the road, right, you guys? No, it's definitely a, a made-up comic book car for sure yeah it's... definitely definitely and uh m car american uh, car enthusiasts in europe and norway and scandinavia have been trying to guess if there are any car that it's based off and uh guide hasnes a norwegian journalist and also a car enthusiast i would guess have been written articles about this and about the the use of cars and traffic in Duckburg. And what his, what he and his other friends, uh, car enthusiast, uh, would suggest is the best guess is that the car could be based off an A4 uh, models from 1928 to 1931. And of course, the tires would be called something for, uh, would be something called jumbo tires. That was popular a couple of years, but really nothing big. That was like this big balloon type of, uh, of tires. So uh, I sent you a picture with uh, where I kind of visualized that with the uh, the A4 along with those with those tires and you could kind of see it but of course it's a really made up car being really small and also, also very charming and also the similarities between the A4 and Donald Duck's Belchfire runabout is that they're both in this era in the 40s and 50s they were really outdated these cars were quickly outdated because then the car industry was moving so fast at the time right and that's a big I think... big yeah, that's a big thing of the Belchfire, Belchfire runabout is that it's also always just crashing down and, and stuff yeah I think that's a big part of its appeal right is that it already feels it feels out of its era, even in Donald's era. I love the, what, what do they call it? Is it called a trundle seat? Am I remembering? That may be it. In, uh, I could only find the Norwegian terminology for it, and it would be a, oh, Mikkel Sigirmur. Uh, oh, a mother-in-law. A mother-in-law seat, because you would put your mother-in-law back there. That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, so they're called rumble seats here, and and they're they're definitely that's something that in and of itself feels quaint, and it just seems to go well, right, with Donald and his nephews. It's it's always the three boys in the rumble seat. Um, maybe room for Donald plus Daisy in the front. It's it's really a neat part of the of the character. I don't know if you already have mentioned it, Ruben, but uh, it was called it was Carl Barks that made up this uh, name for the car, this uh, Belchfire runabout in uh, Volcano Valley from 1947. Right, is, uh... that's that's great. I was wondering about that because I couldn't find the see the Altelia Ferro story, so I, I was really not sure sure was Altelia Ferro or Carl Barks that came up with that name. But of course, it really sounds like a Kalbark's name. Yeah. yeah. And he, I, Rosa has, of course, used all the names for the different car parts in this story. Right. Mikkel, I appreciate you mentioning that because it's, it is, I don't have a lot of fondness for Volcano Valley. It's not one of my favorite Bark stories, but there's like two parts of it that I really like. It's the courtroom scene and, and it's just the, the guy that Donald trades his car too, and and his kind of going over the car and talking about all the different elements. He talks about how it has a dudge well. Oh, Rosa has yeah. it. You know, this is one of the few things that Rosa really mentions in his commentary about the story. He talks about where he took the car from. He mentions how he used the same description in his story at having a mix, a 1920 mix well engine, a 22 dudge body, a 20, 23 pack lack axles, which are all of of course plays on various american auto names like um 
like Dodge and and so forth. But but there's just something so great about that name, Belchfire Runabout. And and uh, you know, I love the the Barks oil that gets that title, a 1934 Belchfire Runabout. That's that's one of my one of my favorites. So um, so yeah, that's the best thing I think that came out of Volcano Valley. Um, and and it's a lot of fun. So gentlemen, um, the, the one thing before we actually get into the story is I like to pander to my international listeners by talking about some of the titles from around the world. Um, so you guys, you're both Norwegian. I'm going to be obnoxious and try the Norwegian myself. Of course. So uh, the Norwegian title translates to Resurrected Wreck, and it is... Et genopstat vrak. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. How how should it sound, Mikkel? Et genopstat vrak. Et genop- All right, all right. So I, I give myself a, a B minus. I I'm gonna do Germany. Ruben, you want to pick either Sweden or Netherlands? Yeah, I could uh, try Sweden. Go for it. Does sound like a tongue twister. Uh, uh, it says vel bilbeholm. Something like that. It means well-maintained car. Yeah, so a pretty pretty straightforward title. Mikael, what about Netherlands, the Dutch? Well, I'm, I'll say sorry in advance to all people from Netherlands because I'm going to butcher this pretty badly. But which translates to on the hunt for the grand prize. Yeah, what? thank you. <laughs> The butchering is um, is half of the fun of it. I always I think that's the right title. I always have to be careful because sometimes I look up the Dutch titles and it turns out it's the the title of the publication or the collection. But oh. that, that seems like it it matches the story, right? Because he is hunting for his grand prize. Um, you guys, Germany is neat. It's selbst selbst ist der Mann which um, translates literally in English to himself is the man. But I did look it up, and it I guess it's their expression for do it yourself. So I like that title a yeah, lot. Okay. It seems, seems like a neat, thoughtful one. All right, so you guys, this is the part of the podcast where, um, so so Don, Don Rosa mentions himself in the commentary that there's not that much to say about this story. But this is where we kind of kind of prove him wrong and and obsess over it in great detail as fans. This is the part of the podcast where we summarize the story. The point is not to read this for for listeners. Anyone listening to this has it, but the point is that this is going to spur us to have some interesting and sometimes nerdily over-detailed, fun, obsessive observations, um, and just make some connections that we otherwise might not. So, um, so let's do it, guys. I, I'm so so stoked for this. For, for an early story, I just think this is so strong and so, so well constructed. When we do an opening panel for, for a story, I like to talk about how Don Rosa, in this case, is signaling, you know, things, certain things about his characters, right? And so this one is a 10-pager. It's going to start off pretty brisk. We've got Donald heading out on what we believe to be a weekend likely to work on his car. The nephews are out playing with marbles. It's it's a very wholesome, like, 50s activity. Rosa is trying to signal to us that he is in Bark's universe here, right, with the cars and the, the wholesome 50s, the whole 
troublesome 50s activity. And um, really, this seems to be like a labor of love for Donald, where he is going to disassemble his car, he's going to clean it out, he's going to service it and go over it with a fine tooth comb. He does this every year. And, and you know, he does it himself to save himself some money. And he really, he mentions how he assembled the car himself. He's just, this is one of those times where he's taking a lot of pride in it. You guys, I really like this version of Donald, right? This is kind of like Donald at his best here. He is being passionate and industrious, uh, a little bit overly enthusiastic about something. But, um, but you know, a lot of the comedy of this is not necessarily going to come from Donald's temper. It's just going to come from that tendency for like misfortune to befall him. And so you guys, he um, he has the nephews. Again, this, this story is really wholesome in a lot of ways. He has the nephews join him uh, very enthusiastically, and they seem to be uh, just about done. Donald comments that the last thing in the process is that he needs to get his faulty Wiebelfetzer repaired. And, and a nephew at the closing of the first page, a nephew asks if they can just buy a new one. But Donald notes that, you know, this is like a his own gem of a car. It is like nothing else. So there aren't parts available. He needs to give it to Gyro and let him fix it. And so the plan is for everyone to enjoy ice cream sodas and, uh, and the ducks walk away from the chassis of Donald's car with all his parts laid out nicely on the front lawn in a very fateful way. What do you guys think? Strong opening sequence, I, I feel. Mikael? Yeah, I, I like how Donald Rosa really, already in the first panel, he makes a reference to Barks with um, Don's mailbox and the address of 1313 Webfoot Walk, which is, of yeah. course, a reference to the secret of Atlantis. Yeah, that's right. And Rosa here is really, his job is, is to make the reader, the reader probably already cares a lot right about this car chances are pretty good that they're as familiar with it as he is but his job is to like make it feel even more special for when the inevitable happens and so the car is in almost every panel donald is just talking it up lovingly uh, i totally agree that it's that it's great to see donald being this passionate about something and being really great at something of course in the those famous 10 pages where donald is great at something he fails in the end but you really get the feeling that this is something donald have been been good at for many years as long as he's owned the car saying that he does this every year and uh, he's doing it with pride and joy and i think it's just marvelous to see right yeah well said so so the next sequence is about the catastrophe it's a 10 pager it's very brisk we're going to introduce it right away i like how he sets this up wordlessly we see neighbor jones you know a famous barks bit character walk on out with a bunch of old rubbish and um just junk items and he he casually whistles as he nails in as he hammers in a yard sale sign. And, and the way the fences, the way the fence doesn't quite run to the property line, it's very clear to the reader what is about to happen. And, and indeed, some several hours later, the ducks get back with the 
the part from Gyros, Donald is talking about, you know, how they'll get back. They'll take a spin to grandma's farm once they can reassemble it. So we've got these mentions of Gyro, uh, mentions of grandma, a visual from neighbor Jones. Again, Rosa is being very clear. He wants to set this in Bark's universe. And the ducks arrive at the the ducks arrive at Donald's front yard to find it completely bare, nothing there save for some footprints. Uh, the only thing left is the chassis, and so you know Jones is outside, and Donald rushes up to him, asking him. Did you see who swiped all the stuff from my front yard? And Jones tells him, you guys, I really like this, this little character beat, right? Jones, Jones is actually kind of excited to tell him about this. He's like, I did you a good turn for a change um, because they're famously always at war with each other. They're feuding neighbors. But he said that, uh, you know, the I had a yard sale and the whole neighborhood turned out and they bought all that junk that you left at the curb for the rubbish collector. Um, so he gives him his share, $11.75. This is neat, right? Because like a, a lot of what makes this story work is that it's everything is coming about through good intentions, even on Jones's part, in a way that feels very believable. What, what do you guys think? Absolutely. And it's also great to see that actually Jones is doing something good for him and believe that he have. Of course, you could speculate that maybe he did know that it was his car and this is kind of like a prank, but I don't get that impression. And it's good to see that him trying to be friendly and making peace somehow. But of course, Donald doesn't take this as a favor at all, as he should. Right. It's, it's like, it's a big misunderstanding. It's obviously, it was obviously not cool for Jones to do this, but you can see where his heart was in the right place. Well, I still think you're kind of misplaced if you think you're doing someone a favor without asking them if it's okay to sell off the stuff on their lawn. Like, right. You are not. Uh, you, sh you should still do some work on yourself if you, if you think that's okay. I fully agree. It's still like very much in the in the character of neighbor Jones to like just bluster about and make the assumption. So in the real world. Uh, yes, this is like a terrible thing to do. But with the logic of the comic books, I, I totally am like, oh, yeah, yeah, I see. Rosa has, has definitely laid the grounds to make this this incident, this um, disaster feel very believable. And I, and I really like that. So yeah. so you guys, the next sequence is is very key. And one of the things that I'm having so much fun doing in this new podcast one thing that's very unique for Rosa is he loves to plant what I call gag seeds, right? He's going to like plant this little seed. He's going to water it through all these like happenstance things. And he's going to watch it blossom by the end of the story. And, and here is where he sets up a doozy of a gag. Your mileage may vary. Like I can I can see how this might be a little bit too weird and happenstance for some readers, but but I love I love the gag that he's gonna set up and plant the seed for here. We see the predictable thing happen, right? Donald and Donald is outraged, reasonably so. Um, he cues up into like a just a fist fight with Jones. And uh, you know, this is very in character for both men. Jones has been outside gardening, and this is in character. We see other stories where he and Donald have been feuding over things like gardening. So, so 
So he has a hoe, a gardening implement, a hoe, and he starts to kind of pat it behind his back in a like, I'm getting ready to, to you know, beat you up. Um, and when Donald charges Jones into his bed of tulips, into his bed of prize tulips, the reader notices or maybe doesn't notice that Jones has like landed in a way that Rosa signals just, just a little bit, but but it probably is going to require a second read to pick up on what he's doing here, right? He, let's just say he leaves a distinct print that is the impression of his backside, the, the garden implement, and Jones's shoulders. I did not pick up on what Rosa was going with the first time. I will notice. I will note that. Um, Mikhail, did you, do you remember if you picked up, if you anticipated the gag here? On the first time reading this? No, I don't think so. So I was uh, I was around six years old then because um, sure. Don Rosa stories were published in a, in a book called um, Hall of Fame, the big comic book uh, creators around right. 2004. So that's my, my first reading. So maybe too young to pick up on it. I think I probably would have been eight or nine. What about you, Ruben? Did you? Do you... Yeah, I was like seven, eight when I read this and I definitely didn't pick that up. But uh, when I saw the payoff that we'll reveal later, of course, I was amazed. I thought it was great. And I looked at this, these panels from a young age when with uh, not pride, but um, yeah, satisfaction. And of course, I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and, I've, and I'm impressed. I've always been impressed by these panels and right. uh, what he made with them. That's the thing. I, I vividly remember the feeling of delight when we get to the payoff. So um, delight, that's the word. So we get, you know, we get a very comical fist fight. Uh, it's. It's classic ball of dust. Um, and, and Donald eventually gets out of Jones where all the parts have gone, right? By, by implementing the old tickle torture. He gets from Jones that, you know, enough. I only remember that I sold the parts to people living on our street. So we've got the parameters of the rest of the story, right? We've, we've already had it established. How important Donald's car is to him. We know what he's going to do. We know that he's got to go house by house, neighbor by neighbor to try and recover all of these many parts. And, and uh, you know, he's got the nephews, so they're going to spread out. And, and that's, uh, that's basically going to be the rest of this brisk little 10 pager. Mikael, do you want to tell us about the first part encounter? <laughs> Yeah, as we as we now see Donald running down the street, I I would really like to point out that there is a very classic Barks uh, sight gag in the background here with this guy <laughs> riding a one wheel uh, bicycle thing. Yeah, it's <laughs> so like a clear... unicycle or something. Yeah, a unicycle, very tall uh, unicycle thing. But uh, yeah, we it's clearly Rosa showing us that we are playing around in the world of Barks. Right. And then um, Don runs into this kid, who, um, a little boy with, um, with a stick and, um, and a wheel, which turns out to be Don's steering wheel. Yeah, the, the whole sequence that follows here really reminds me about Barks Pool Sharks. We have this angry neighbor lady taking the, the side of the child, accusing Donald of, how dare you steal um, that boy's toy? Well, she whacks Donald in the back head with, uh, with her umbrella, which forces Donald to buy the steering wheel back from the child. And <laughs> it's very funny how he says, all right, all right, here's $5 for, you, for your hoop. Go on, um, buy a ton of candy and rot your little teeth. So, 
So Donald's in this like awful position, right? Because rightfully, these people rightfully bought his stuff and he just doesn't have the time to to explain the whole misunderstanding. So it's going to be easier for him to like fork over the equivalent of, of 50 bucks, um, I guess probably about 35 bucks as of as of Rose's writing of this story. And and then Ruben, why don't you tell us about the next sequence that, that where they kind of escalates it. Yeah, so Donald now walks angrily, angrily along the street and uh, one of the nephews come along and say that uh, we found your car spread all over the neighborhood. Uh, and they, 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 then they bring him to, um, to the backyard for some um, of some neighbor. And look, there's the body just laying in that yard. And then we see the body of the car just actually just sitting in the center of a big yard full of grass. And Donald just jumps over the fence ready to grab that body back and, of course, build his own car. But, of course, Donald has to be punished in some way because this is a comedy story. So when Donald tries to pick this thing up, he goes, he is being bitten in his tail feathers by his poodle. And the neighbor, uh, the owner of the poodle, is... Uh, looking through the window of the house and saying, hey, get away from Fifi's new dog house. You'll upset her. Well, Donald, of course, have to buy, has to buy this uh, things uh, back and $25 really isn't enough to, for this kind, pretty moustached uh, moustached man because I don't think I could find another dog house this nice. Besides, you made poor Fifi very nervous. And Donald's response is, okay, make it 50. <laughs> I love this bit, uh, the 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 concept of a small dog being like ridiculously ferocious is very funny to me. I also just intensely dislike small dogs, as I sense Rosa might as well here. But but the just snapping and snarling little little Fifi with the owner like calmly comforting her is a, is a very funny panel to me. Yeah, and and big crocodile teeth as well. Right. Yeah, no, he, the owner of the dog kind of looks like uh, Italian to me. Yeah, he does. He has a certain look, right? He's got that yeah. like, little thin mustachio look. So he will be one of two Italians to show up in this story. <laughs> yeah, some representation for uh, for those of us with, with an Italian heritage. <laughs> so we transition to the next. You know, you know, this story, Rosa, I think one of the things that Rosa does that people really like about his storytelling is that his stories, they seem to almost write themselves, right? Um, and that's not, that feels like I'm not giving him enough credit for it, because obviously they don't. But he lays it out so well that, that you know, we, we have this natural progression here with each part is going to be its own little sequence. Um, as they leave, I love that sight gag where we still see just Fifi snapping and, and raving and snarling over the back fence. Um, and, and we're going to head onward to the, the nephews have basically scoped out the rest of this story, right? They're very productive. Mikael, why don't you tell us about the fenders and tires sequence? Yeah, as uh, Don knows, notices that an elderly lady is planting flowers into his uh, planters. And he runs over to empty them of dirt because, of course, the dirt will make um, the fenders start to rust all over. And this elderly lady, which is all wrinkled with these thick glasses, she just <laughs> takes her garden hose and uh, spray Donald with water. So one of the nephews has to explain that that's her uncle, ma'am. He's a little excited, but I'm sure he'd like to make you an offer for your new planters. Right. So it's the nephew kind of subtly telling him what to do. Um, tell us about the lady. Oh, dear me. 
I'm sorry, Mr. Duck, but I've already planted delicate orchids seedlings that I nurtured all spring. I can't just... Not even for $100. <laughs> and she, with a nice little uh, sound word, uh, blum. <laughs> I love that word. She accepts Don's offer and says, And how, Jack? And Don comments, where next? So one of the nephews uh, just follow your nose, Uncle Donald. Right. So um, th this is another of these tropes that Rosa seems to find funny. An infirm elderly person who can be bought off. That she she totally her her comportment completely changes at the. So again, e each of these beats is just a short number of panels. They're all very funny. They're I think they're all very successful. Uh, the next one is going to lead to. You know, a nephew is going to motion that um, now just follow your nose. Do you smell steak cooking? And Ruben, you want to tell us what this is going to lead to? Yeah, and this is probably my favorite of the sequences because he's looking over the over the hedge and he's seeing a neighbor that I believe is a Vark's character I've seen somewhere, a Vark's background character. Anyway, he's uh, cooking steak on his grill, but he's using Donald's radiator grill as like the, what do you call that, that we, we would have on, on the top of the grill. Right, the barbecue grill. Yeah, the barbecue grill, and he's, and he's using it on the top of the grill because, it, yeah, of course, the grill. <laughs> that was a lot of grill in one sentence. Um, <laughs> and Donald is furiated. Stop, stop. I have a steak in the grill. You're using the grill? That steak. And the neighbor says, run that by me again. And Donald so, kicks over so let, the... Let me, inter yeah. let me interrupt really quick, Ruben, because this is a this is a great, like, this sentence is an example of something that I imagine um, maybe doesn't translate. I don't know if it's obvious what a fun little play on words this is in English. Did you guys kind of um, clock this? I'm going to yeah. be honest. I have to read that sentence pretty many times, the English one, and I still didn't actually get the joke. I understand it's a joke and it's a pun on, on plain words, but I really didn't get it. So I would love if you could explain it to me, Mark. Oh, yeah. I mean, my pleasure. It's it, it Even if you're an English speaker, it, it's hard to parse and you have to think about it. But when you kind of stop and think about it you you realize that it's it's very funny um so i to have a stake in something means you have a strong interest in it right and steak and and the the meat steak sound the same in english so so and we've got two kinds of grills here so the line is i have a steak in the grill you're using to grill that steak it's a super it's it's a ridiculous it's a dumb pun but it's like it's a masterful fully dumb pun and i really appreciate it and even even as like an eight or nine year old or however old i was it sounds like you you cottoned it miko yeah i did got, got it yesterday when i read the story again and that's really why i love to now collect all barks and rosa stories again in english because a lot of these word plays and puns are lost in the norwegian translations right right i know thing. skillful i know that skillful translators sometimes can introduce really strong new puns but there really yeah. is nothing like the original translation and, and the the um the grill master you know the backyard suburban dad doing the grilling there his his nonplussed reaction to it uh run that by me again is is pretty great so go ahead ruben continue yeah thanks for explanation it's really that yeah it's really great and of course you 
personalize the character very well, calling us, calling us a bourbon 50s backyard dad, just grilling. And uh, he's being really friendly, of course. Well, hello, Mr. Duck. How would you like your, ste your steak? Rare, medium, or... But Donald kicks down his grill and his steak uh, because it's, um, you'll burn my lovely chrome. And then his, his wife is sitting on the, on the table talking with, his, with her husband. And she has gotten the steak on her head, covering her eyes and all the top of her head. Don't fix him a steak, Harry. I don't like his manners. <laughs> yeah, and Donald picks up the grill uh, with like a... Um... What would you call that, Mark? A grill oh, fork? Um, yeah. A grill fork, and it's glowing hot, of course. And it says, here, go buy a gas grill and a side of beef. Just stop using this to cook on. Th this is a gag type that Rosa really likes, right? People acting completely straight-faced to something ridiculous. Um, it really works for me. I, I too, find yeah, it, it really funny. I think for some people who don't appreciate Rosa's humor, this type of humor might just not quite work for them. And that's fine. I, I find I find her reaction, his reaction uh, to Donald's like mania very funny here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Donald Don Rosa is a master of deadpan, I think. Yeah, deadpan uh, is the word. And later you'll see uh, Donald being like, later in his career, not in the story, but later in the, his career and other stories, you will see Donald being like, you'll see a lot of deadpan Donald faces. Um, right. They're all great. Right. But of course, and... This bit also uh, has like this little spicing in the end because they don't only use his radiator grill as a grill, but the nephews uh, uh, notice that because they're for cups, they're using the, the headlight housing and the glass saucers or the lenses and the plates they're using is the hubcaps. So I just think that's great spicing. Just uh, it, it looks, you wouldn't notice because they actually do look like tableware. Yeah, like tableware. Right, right. And and again, another little pun. He says um, he, he forks over money for their quote automotive motif tableware as as well. You guys were almost done reconstituting his car. I don't know about you, but we've only had what three stops? Is, is that yeah, right? We've 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 had three stops. We're gonna have um, mm -hmm. just a couple more. It it really feels Rosa makes it feel like more steps in this sequence in a very successful way. I think so. I, I like seeing the nephews just you know with the, using their wagon now to to carry everything. Uh, do you want to take us into this next one, Mikel? Yeah, now uh, <laughs> I believe it's uh, Dewey saying with a worried expression, that will be a tough one. It will cost some bucks to get it back. And Donald wincing saying, don't spare me. What? Who's got it? And we are introduced to the story's other Italian. Tony, the popcorn man, is using it to power his new deluxe popcorn cart. And we see Tony here in... <laughs> <laughs> with a long moustache and a nice hat and uh, and his popcorn wagon and uh, he's telling Donald that but sing sing no duck I spent months building this cart and uh, your old engine fitted perfectly how will I support myself until I can get another how will I basically repeating the whole um, thing with the elderly lady and Donald is saying what about three hundred dollars and uh, Tony, of course, uh, and I will throw in a year's supply of popcorn. Right. He accepts. So yeah, he accepts it instantly. Short little sequence, kind of a lot to say about this, right? Th this is one of those throwbacks that is, again, signaling that we're in Bark's 1950s era where um, Italians were, Italian immigrants in America basically did two things. They were organ grinders 
with monkeys or they ran popcorn carts. As an Italian man myself, it's it, it feels weird seeing Italians coded. But again, he's just kind of repeating this this element from the classic comics. Tony's popcorn. Rosso himself is uh, from uh, Italian immigrants or a descendant of. Right. Right, exactly. Rosa, Rosa is another Italian. I think Rosa is probably more Italian by background than I'm. I'm, I'm proud half Italian myself. And, and Tony's popcorn seems to also maybe be automotive themed, right? Because there's some random names of flavors. There are Rocky Road and Bumpy Road and Detour. Some of them are like <laughs> traditional flavors, sour cream. But I, I'll admit, I'm, I'm not. I don't wholly get if that's just the joke. If it's just that, oh, I've got, I've got a car engine here. I might as well. Well, isn't Rocky Road like something? Uh, Rocky, Rocky Road, Road is like... a flavor of ice cream. Yeah, it is. So it's it it's is. definitely silly to have a popcorn flavor with the, um, but there's a few names here that do seem to also be like automotive themed because because mm -hmm. Bumpy Road versus Rocky Road. I, I guess that's the joke, right? Rocky Road versus Bumpy Road. One of them yeah, is a real Yeah, because if flavor. you're reading them, if you're reading them in the in the way they're put, it's like first you'll see onion and grape, then sour cream, then rocky road, and then we'll go into the puns, bumpy road and detour in the end. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess the joke there, I didn't pick up on this, is in the sequence, right? If you're encountering a rocky road, which is a real flavor, um, and then subsequently you encounter a bumpy road, you need to take a detour. So, um, <laughs> so I never noticed that gag. That's a fun little bit. I don't know if it's the strongest, but it's it's cute. But but again, his reaction, the little where you don't see his expression change in between panels is is the funny bit there. Um, so you guys, he's got everything back at this point that makes the car a vehicle, right? The only thing that he's missing now is the thing that kind of gives the car its soul is the impression that I get. You know, he, he, so, you know, one of the nephews asks him if that's everything and he sighs because he's still missing the most important parts, his license plate. And we go over the whole vanity plate concept, right? In, in America, you can pay a little bit of extra every year to keep specific numbers, sometimes a funny message. Do you guys have the same thing in Norway? Recently, we just, um, yeah, we just recently got it. Yeah. So like, I imagine this is not a thing everywhere, but it's it's pretty it's a pretty easy concept for readers to understand. In the United States, there's always funny stories every year of people having inappropriate license. It's like a game you can play with the government where you try to sneak something by because of course there are like forbidden swear words and slurs and stuff. So so, you know, this is a real thing. I know Rosa mentions in his commentary that he himself uh, had a vanity plate on, on a car that's kind of similar to Donald. So this is something that's fun. And Donald is talking about how he he um he pays extra every year to keep that license number and he says that his his car's long charmed life hinges on having that number this is very in character with donald to really fixate on this sort of thing um and and to be like very luck oriented and the nephews kind of lampshade it by talking about how of course uncle donald could forget that silly superstition no one would describe him as stubborn, obstinate, or pig-headed in, in this very, uh, very funny, sarcastic exchange in the exact same moment that Donald spots his, his cherished license plate adorning 
someone's house where they're being used as house numbers. Well, as for the setup sequence, I would just like to mention or quickly point out that in the background, you can see the elderly lady and the backyard dad is <laughs> has already spent the money they got from Donald. Yeah, buying yeah, a it's, new a, gas grill. It, it's a great um, follow up gag because, you know, Donald has told him to buy a new gas grill and and this man does. He looks very satisfied. The 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 old woman seems to have just done some generic shopping from what I can tell. Very funny, very satisfying. These gags were strong enough, I think, without needing that capper, but it really adds to it. So, so you guys, this, this is the bookend sequence, right? This, this is where that gag seed is going to pay off. So, so effectively Donald approaches, he seems to have learned his lesson to not just run in cockeyed, right? Uh, he's, he's telling the guy who is this like big thuggish looking intimidating guy who is um, scraping, he's smoothing the concrete. Donald offers the tough $20 for the old license plates on, on the fence posts. Um, but he hits a roadblock here, right? Because the tough says there's not a chance. The, the reason he bought this house is because it's his lucky number. And you know, Donald is taken aback because like that's his lucky number. And the guy goes on to clarify. This cracks me up, you guys. He clarifies that it was, he says, it was me prison number at Leavenworth and the winning number in the weekly parole lottery. I would never sell those plates. <laughs> so th this, this, that's a great gag, right? The idea of the parole lottery that just lets you, lets you off the hook. That's a great little bit of absurdity. Um, that, that, even as a child, that idea really cracked me up. And now we've got some great conflict here set up because this guy is just as invested in those numbers as Donald. So we, we can anticipate how this is going to result in a clash. Donald starts to just fork out more and more money. We sense how desperate he is. He offers $100 and $200. And the guy, the guy says, it ain't the money that, that matters. It ain't the money that matters. It's me lack of principle, which is, you know, just a cute verbal flourish. It's, it's as a convict, he lacks principle, clearly, but that's not what he means. Um, and, and so Donald does what Donald's going to do. He winds up and gets ready for a fist fight. And the nephews plead with the guy uh, to just sell him the plates. It'll save a lot of pain. All of it, Donald's, of course. But, but the tough is, is unwilling to be bought. He does have that much principle. Uh, and Donald, you know, he, I, I love it, you guys. He throws down his cap. He says, you asked for it, Buster. Those plates are legally mine, which is true. And I'm taking them, which is very inadvisable. And, and he gets into, as the nephews note, his second fight in the same afternoon. And, and we're going to deliberately bookend here the Jones fight, right? And this guy, unlike Jones, who had a hoe, this guy is, is menacingly patting a crowbar behind his back. But Donald gives him the exact same treatment. He bashes him into his freshly poured concrete um, with a splat 
and and the guy rises saying, "Gah, me fresh concrete. You'll pay for this, duck. I'm gonna." And one of the nephews notices what has just happened. He says, "Mister, before before you clobber Donald, look at this." And and we see that just like Jones. Although we we probably didn't register it when we first saw it. The man's backside, his shoulders, and the vertical tool that he was wielding have left a great impression in the concrete that looks just like a 313. The man says, it's a miracle. What a beautiful new house number that will make. And you know, he immediately pulls it out of the ground, which is some cartoon logic, sure because we know it needs more time to set, but, but it, it's only got a few panels of this brisk 10 page or so. So I personally forgive it. Uh, and the guy says it, it sort of has an imprint in the own personality. Go ahead and take those plates, duck. This is better. So you guys, it, it worked out. This was some duck luck. This is the opposite of what he usually gets. I find this gag, this payoff, so deeply satisfying. It cracks me up so much. It's such a rewarding, like, uh, book ending of the story. What, what do you both? Yeah, it's great. And of course, um, it's so ridiculous that it is going to use. How big is that? Is that sign? It's going to be like it's it's like a meter in in one side and a, a meter and a half in the other side, and it's going to right. put it in, up in front of his house <laughs> as a as a number. I think it's great, and of course it's thick as well. <laughs> it's so it's ridiculous, and of course it just as you see it bookends real nice. The coincidence of it having of it making a three one three, it's just unbelievably great. It, it is a wonderful coincidence, right? A lot of Rose's best of these this kind of gag is gonna is gonna hinge on a very unlikely coincidence, and a lot of the comedy is about how he helps us arrive at that incredibly unlikely coincidence in a way that somehow doesn't feel unnatural or forced. What, what do you think, Mikkel? I think it works very, very well. It's it's a really efficient, efficient build-up and pacing. Very clear that Rosa is inspired by Bark's early 50s uh, pacing for his 10 pages. It works very well. He first introduced this situation with Jones. First coincidence with Jones um, accidentally making the number 313 after Donald runs into him. And now it repeats itself with this guy who's like an even bigger and meaner version of Jones. <laughs> So... Yeah, he it, it seems like a redraw because of course you know with his early with his early works I talked to the I talked about this he's he's been doing a lot of copying of Bark's poses this feels like he might have repurposed a Beagle Boy a little bit here right and into a yeah, generic stuff yeah I was thinking just the same thing it's a Beagle Boy with thick eyebrows and a cigar and like this bus cap yeah so like he he looks like his own character but you know this is definitely what he's been doing to kind of get up to speed but yeah. As you say, Mikkel, the way it's constructed is 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 really just it's masterful. I, I'm really taken, you guys, by by these how strongly plotted some of these early stories that I haven't gone back to that much um, in a while, how strongly plotted they are. So you guys, that to me is like the real conclusion, right? That that's the big gag at the ending. But he's, he's we've gotta we've gotta see it play out. We've gotta see the car get back together. 
right? The um, the reader needs to see that. So um, so we we see them reassemble it. We do see one nephew introducing a little bit of trepidation as he says, well, I don't know, we were missing an awful lot of the nuts and bolts. Um, but Donald bloviates as, as Donald's going to saying that these old cars were built solid. A, a few missing bolts won't cause more than a rattle or two and I can fix them later. So, you know, they may, they make... <laughs> They get ready to enjoy that drive to grandma's. And over the next two panels, Rosa really sharply refers to each of those previous incidents, right? The, the rumble seat being full of fleas from Fifi as the motor turns on. We get, we get an aroma of charcoal grilled porterhouse and a load of hot buttered popcorn bursts out of the glove compartment um, as Donald stews. Uh, it's it's all very funny. These are these do seem to be fixable problems, but you know Donald's feeling very prideful. Um, he says, "Okay, so I rushed it a little, but I know this car inside out, and I'm telling you, it's a okay." And he pushes the pedal to the metal, and with a screech, they head off for Grandma's. And the last panel is is excellent. Um, we see that the car has has basically disintegrated. All of the parts are not laid out on his lawn this time, but laid out throughout the street with him. But then they're, they're still sitting in their original position, which is some just delightful cartoon logic. Donald is still still holding the wheel, uh, the, the 313 license plate at his lap and just saying, nobody say a word. And you guys, you know, we, we could be distraught that his car has been dismantled again, but we, we know that this time, if he like takes his time and visits Gyro for the right screws and everything, we know he's going to get it back together. So even if it's not as strong as the uh, it, it's it's a perfect capper, right? It's not quite as funny as the high of that of that address uh, gag, but but it's it's a great way to come down and conclude the story. I I love it, you guys love it, Mikael. I just I really love this this ending panel because you, you I can really hear the sound of the car on the car wheels and everything just scrangling and making sounds as they I can really. You can hear that panel, and I, I love the expression on Donald's face and his pupils, how he has murder in his eyes. It's a perfect ending to me for this story. Yeah, and it's a perfect visual as well. The car parts being laid out like they're in the same they're in the spots that they would like be if you just took off the car part of the car and put it like right where we were standing so all the cars all the tires on the left side are on the left side all the right tires on the right side and the, the front license number is on the front very front in between those legs yeah it's a great visual and i when i was a child i remember looking at this studying this with glory it really is. It's it's delightful. It's it's a perfect it's a perfect closer. You guys, I, my my overall thoughts are that this this is an incredibly strong ten pager. I I think that this is is pretty close to a perfect gag story. We'll we'll get into it when we review it. But but I I would say that this is an underrated gem of a story because it is so strongly plotted. 
The gags are so strong. They're so funny. Um, he doesn't even need a ton of little background gags here just because like the, the main gags are are so strong and, and so clever. I, I, of course, have a lot of fondness because it was a very early one that I read pretty early on, but but I've always thought very strongly of this story and I, I continue to be very impressed with it. Yeah, it's it's an early story of his, right? So like his his art definitely is like not quite up to the standards that he's going to get to. You guys are artists. I'm not. So like, I know that's easy for me to say. I do note that he seems to be getting much better at drawing the nephews um, than he was in his like first two stories where the, they were probably the characters that I was like most kind of like, wow, okay, this, this is definitely rougher right? I, I know Rosa, I feel like he was, um, I feel like he could be more generous to himself in his own commentary. I know that's kind of not his nature, but um, but I, I think this is just an absolutely brilliant 10-pager. Dare I say this is one of his very best 10-pagers? I think it is. I think it, this is definitely the very best 10-pager Don Rosa did. Oh, of course, you have that uh, Scrooge McDuck tower building, uh, tower building story as well. But yeah, I think this one really is great. And you get like like the and of course it's borrowed by Barks as uh, as well with the repetitive thing. It's something repeating throughout the story that it's Donald collecting the car parts, and every single one of them are their their creative use of the car parts in a way. You get this it's really creative, and you get this repetitive thing throughout the story, and every single one of them are funny. I think it's great. Yeah. What about you, Michael? I, re I really appreciate this story even more now as I'm reread it because for the last years I haven't really read Rosa's early stories. So I've been thinking more of like a story is very well still trying out the format as an illustrator and uh, artist because his drawings are clearly popping Bark's poses as he's been open about. But uh, as I now go back to read them again, I really appreciate the structure and the pacing and also the art, because the artwork is far stronger than I remembered. And I, I really I really like Rosa's early stories. Although I would say that for me, his best 10-pager would probably be Forget It, which is one of his later stories. But you, you kind of see the groundwork for stories like Forget It here. Yeah, I don't know that I would call it his very best, but, but certainly like top tier for me. Uh, Ruben? Yeah, definitely. I would just like to comment on the artwork as well, because uh, in contrast to Mikkel, I actually was kind of disappointed of the artwork. I thought this was, I remember it being better. I'm not, it's not very co consistent, the artwork. It's like there's some panels are real great and some are not that great. I'm not going to point any out because you can see for yourself, but it's not really consistent. Uh, but some of these are great and some of these could have been better. But I think the story and the ideas that are presented here are just marvels. No, I agree with Ruben that this artwork is not consistent. It's, uh, I believe also Rosa has uh, commented before that people have pointed out that it was kind of off-model in the early stories. Or, yeah, he definitely had stuff to learn, like getting an overall feeling of how the character will look like from different angles, especially the nephews, which uh, how their heads are kind of too small here. They should be a little bigger and rounder, which he, of course, would figure out <laughs> how to do later. Yeah, and, and, and we know that this is early on for him. Um, we know that he was kind of using these training wheels of the Barks poses to get himself up to speed. So I think it's reasonable to comment on. But 
like I, I'm impressed by overall by how well he really hit the ground running. And I just have such a great deal of fondness for this story. And uh, guys, let, let's check in with the overall community, right? Because it sounds like we're generally in agreement that we think this is very strong. One of my favorite segments here is to check in with Index, the site where people can learn information about these comics um, and people can also rate them. So it's our best measure of what the community thinks. And if you look at Index, this story like many of his stories, many of his least famous stories, they all get a rating of about 7.3. But there's a lot of stories that have a 7.3 out of 10. So there's like a lot of spread in between those. For this one, it has a rank of 553 out of all like 42,000-ish stories that are rated on Index. Um, but maybe the best way to look at these is to put the, the Rosa stories all next to each other. So I've, I've made a spreadsheet where I've done just that. And what you'll find is that this is number 67 out of Rosa's stories, which um, only puts it in the top 86 percentile. So fans think that, you know, 86% of his stories are stronger than this one, which mm -hmm. I would say qualifies this as an underrated story, because to me, this is, um, I don't have a great feel for where I would place it, but it definitely feels more like a, a, at least top half of his stories. I think this is a very strong one, even if it is early on, and even if the art, I'm guessing you guys, that's probably why it doesn't rate as well, right? Because it's an early story with maybe not his most developed art style, and it's not like one of his more famous early adventure stories. What do you think, Ruben? Yeah, and of course, it's kind of unfair to compare it to, of course, the whole Life of Time saga, but also many famous adventure-length stories and many great adventure-length stories. So it's kind of hard to, to compare it that way, but I think it's great you did it, Mark, and it's really fun to see. I would just like to uh, acknowledge that this is a 10-pager, and Don Rosa's 10-pagers aren't actually the fond of the fans as his adventure-length stories. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I he doesn't have so many of them that I felt the need to, like, break those out. You know what I mean? But maybe I should have. But um, just as I look here briefly, it does appear that it is, like, ranked lower than the vast majority mm -hmm. of even his 10 pages. So I'm going out on a limb. I'm saying that this is a very underrated story, and it deserves uh, it deserves another look. Any thoughts, Mikael? No, I agree. I'm surprised to hear that it's so low on the list. There's other stories I would place further down on my personal list, like Super Snooper Strikes Again, but then again, that's a story that I personally have felt throughout the years that probably didn't need a sequel, but I, I do also love Rosa's message in Super Snooper Strikes Again, but to me that's more <laughs> of a, just a repeat of Park's classic, so more of a retread there yeah yeah, yeah as, as i think about it don rosa has so many great stories i really can't think about something that i don't find not as good so i can see why this one is ranked pretty low because there are almost everything is great so <laughs> it's really hard to to compare it in that way and i can see why it's so low but i would definitely agree mark i think it's really underrated uh, because i think it's a great comedy story and i believe don rosa himself didn't, he never thought that he, um, that he really got the 10-page formula right. But here, I definitely think he did. He did. Yeah, that's been my thought with the, the first um, the first 
three 10 pagers that I've covered, um, I, I've, I've thought that they've been unusually strong. So it's, it's really fun to revisit these. It's probably one of the Rosa stories that are closest to Barks in structure. Pretty much like His Majesty McDuck is also kind of a Rosa full-length adventure that is feeling the most like a Barks adventure. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, this one and maybe Master Landscape do probably feel like the most true to Barks. Ten pagers from... I had to get, I'd probably say like 55 or so is, is about where this, where I'd probably place this, but that's a, a little bit specific. All right. So you guys, let's, let's transition on, let's get to wrapping it up. I, I don't think he ever really got any other, he didn't do any stories where he really focused heavily on the the runabouts to my knowledge right no i don't think so yeah so there, there's not a lot to follow up on from this comic i do like to mention if there is our, our little our wrap-up for the podcast is to talk about the duck dedication the d-u-c-k dedication there's not going to be anything to mention here because this was in the the little phase where he he did not he was told not to use these signature like duck dedications and he hadn't yet resolved that he would just just sneak them in the heck with it. Um, so there's not much to say there, but we do like to talk about our favorite panels and sight gags. Does anyone want to go first? Yeah, I can start. I think it's really hard not to say the last panel. Uh, I browsed through this and tried to look like at every panel and there are great sequences and they're great comedy and great gags, but really I think the last panel is the greatest single artwork there is, uh, along, with the, um, along with the panel before it where Donald is, as you said, it's putting the pedal to the metal and room screeching along time and here we come grandma just pulling all of the energy out of the of the belt fire runabout and then we see the the consequences of that in the panel after i think those two are definitely the greatest panel in my yeah i think opinion. i think those are good ones to mention i i think they're they're the natural ones to mention i'll mention one of the natural ones is just the reveal panel right the the little sequence where the 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 ex-con i guess the current con gets up and you see the the 313 um and it just has that added power of of the flash of realization that you've seen that before at the beginning and it's this sneaky gag that he's been building to the whole time i also really like the nephew kind of giving the convict the side eye i think that's pretty funny so as you say the the last one is an easy choice to make there there are there are a ton of great ones here ton of great gag ones but that's probably the one i'd mention what about you Mikael? i would like to go right back to the beginning with the opening splash panel. I will, of course, re mention the reference to Don's address, but uh, you have the little bird hiding in the Don's uh, mailbox. Yeah. And you, of course, have typical bark gag with the birds doing funny things in the background. The, it reminds me about something that will probably become more typical for Rosa's later stories, and that's his little mice. Right. Yeah, the yeah, these mice little, doing stuff. little background mice and little other animals hidden in the background are a real um, yeah. trademark of his. I, that's another panel that I thought about. What about um, favorite sight gags, you guys? Just little background gags. Yeah, really, this story isn't that heavy on sight gags either. You get some of these barks vehicles in the background and uh, some of the pedestrians doing, like, silly things. But there are not that many, but I didn't... 
really see this until I was looking for sight gags just before the recording of this, this podcast. And I noticed what Mikkel pointed out with the with the suburban dad pushing his new gas grill in the background, along with the old lady that had done some shopping. That made me laugh. <laughs> Seeing that, oh, he really did buy a gas grill and is very happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll echo that one. I, I agree. It's There's something very funny about how it's layered, how they're both walking different directions. They've just both got this satisfied look that contrasts with Donald's anguished look. The way it you know refers to the previous gag, it's very funny. Along with where it comes in the story, in sequence-wise. So where it's placed in the story as well, I think it's perfect. Right, yeah, it gives it that, like, sequential feel. Yeah. Um, what about you, Mikkel? You had pointed out that one. Yeah, I, I did point out that one, so I feel like I've already mentioned it. So I would like to mention another one earlier in the story. It's after Donald has tickled neighbor Jones into revealing where the car parts went. And it's those two other neighbors looking over the hedge at this yeah. panting Jones. <laughs> you know, this yeah, confused Jones wondering guys. looks like, should we help him? <laughs> you're right that's a good one because because jones gasping for air with one shoe still off is is pretty great we we should also mention one more that i found that i really uh Mm -hmm. it was like this pedestrian in the background looking up a lamp post yeah i noticed that as Uh, well and it's saying one way and it's pointing upwards or in the front it's probably going to say like in front of you like a traffic sign would like point right this way but it has to point upwards and it says one way and it's <laughs> it's this pedestrian standing right by it and you can see his silhouette is looking upwards yeah that's a good the arrow one. is pointing <laughs> and I, I didn't i didn't catch that previously so definitely a good catch there, there's a lot Th- this one this one is overall just just very funny very tightly constructed and extremely it's it's a great example of storytelling. If you haven't read this in a while, listener, I definitely encourage it. Yeah, and it's just like on something I would just like to acknowledge as well is that you have this tiny world in this story that you should have in many ten pages. But sometimes we'd see the ducks moving along, but you have this tiny world that is the neighborhood of Donald, and that also is something that we don't really we don't really see that that often that the neighborhood and we meet the neighbors and you have this you have this one street where everything takes place and i think it's really interesting that you can have like and it's a great 50s suburban era as well as it should be and i think it's really interesting to see that and they're not traveling that much they're always in that little world with this little little like microcosmic yeah you're right it feels um it gives it a neat little flavor kind of a geographic level that we're not always at at that neighborhood level i can't really recall rosa ever ever doing that again now maybe for like the neighbor jones that other neighbor jones story but yeah it's it's a lot of fun it's a fun little playground that he has a good time with. gentlemen i i had a lot of fun i had so much fun revisiting the story with you guys it, it's neat to get to chat with someone who feels really passionate about the the car as in the way that i think we all do um a lot of barks and rosa fans do I think we covered this pretty well. People should feel free to check out Rosa Remarks. Right now we've got a Facebook page. At some point we may have an Instagram page as well. I know, gentlemen, that you can both be found on Facebook and Instagram, right? And it is um, with the Norwegian word for draws or drawing, right? Tegner? Tegner, that's right. Tegner. Tegner, right? So so let's see it. Mikkel Hagnens Tegner and Olsrud Tegner. Is that right? right? And, And that's for both 
both Facebook and Instagram. You guys have great art. So you guys definitely check out their art pages, you know, again, as we mentioned at the outset, they, these guys are responsible for the, the great cover art in, in different iterations for, for the two podcasts. And be sure to join us again next time around in a couple of weeks. Uh, oh boy, you guys, this is going to be a lot of fun. Going to get to talk about his second great adventure story, Cash Flow. So don't don't miss that. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Yeah. Th- thank you both, guys. Thank, thank you, you for having us, Mark. It's, it's always awesome. a pleasure.